Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Neurodiversion Experience. I'm Jordan James, also known as the Autistic Photographer, and I'm joined by my co-host and very good friend, Simon Scott. For this episode of the Neurodivergent Experience, we are talking about neurodivergent people and friendships. Friendships. I'll be honest, this is this is a complicated subject. I don't know how it was for you, but for me, friendships have, have been the thing that I most wanted, but the thing that I was most afraid of my entire life. I absolutely couldn't agree more, Jordan. I've always wanted lots of friends. And then as soon as I have lots of friends, I don't want lots of friends anymore. I almost seem to walk away from the friendships that I've really worked hard at until they suddenly become superficial friendships. You stop having things in common, you stop having a friendship. I find it really, really difficult in my past experiences, especially at school, which I'm sure is uh, something that you've experienced as well. Yeah, I was just, I was just desperate. I was desperate for friendship. I was desperate for connection. It's, it's where the masking comes in a lot, I think, in order to, to fit in, in order to, to sort of be part of the crowd. You know, I, I always try to, to change my personality to, to fit others. And I, and I think that that's probably a lot of reason why I struggled because I didn't have a single personality. I had like multiple personalities. I, I think it, it could probably kind of freak people out a lot. No, I, I get where you're coming from with that point because... I think a lot of the issues that I had in my early 20s, especially like in university and, and leaving home and almost leaving my, you know, my comforts, my safe space, my routine to go out into the world and completely make it up in my own image from day one, except I was making these routines and these personality traits and changes based around the people who were my friends. You know, I lived in a house with four guys when I first moved to university and it took me a long time to feel like myself because I wasn't being myself because I was trying to be like these four guys that I lived with. And then we had a, a bit of a falling out just because, you know, four young men living with each other, you're not always going to get on yeah. different ways of living. I like things clean. They didn't. Eventually you either leave or you just get in fights. So I ended up moving and living with like seven people. Two of them played rugby. Have I ever played rugby in my life? No. Did I make it a part of my personality and try to be a rugby boy for a year? Yes. Of course you did. Yeah. Obviously, I've, I've changed my name recently from, from Jody. That, that was a big issue when I was younger because people would, would can always, you know, say it's a girl's name, that I was a girl. So I, I, have, I definitely became mistrustful. So it was like I had this need to be around people. I wanted friendships. I wanted to be around people. But then eventually I just became so mistrustful of people. But then I would fall into that same trap. You know, I, I do consider myself to be a vulnerable person. I am easily led, or I've, I definitely used to be. I'm taking more control over myself recently. I was very easily led, very vulnerable, and, and people definitely took advantage of me, 100%. In order for me to, to, to fit in, like I just had to, to continually pretend and, and just take it on the chin. It's like 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 there there is a fine line between banter and bullying. Yes, there is. Yeah. Like, and I think that line changes when when you're neurodivergent. I think it, it shifts because we're way more sensitive. Not not just like with like sound and light and all those other things, but our feelings are very sensitive. We're heightened sensitivity in our feelings, which is why we're prone to like rejection sensitivity dysphoria because we take everything so personally. Mm. A lot of us, I, I know, I. Sometimes I just don't know how to take a joke. I don't know how to take teasing. 
which is why I made it a very big part of our family is we always tease each other. Sylvia and I have got an entire relationship that's lasted 24 years coming up, 23 years married, 24 years together of just teasing each mm. other and just literally just taking the mickey out of each other because it, it's important not be so bothered by that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. But I was badly bullied, but I ended up getting depression when I was very young, like like in my early teens, and I moved schools in order to get a new start because I was having like horrific nightmares. Like I was waking up in the middle of the night sweats and I was having vivid nightmares. I can close my eyes now and I can envision the faces of these people. And it's almost like a fever dream where they're all sort of surrounding me and cackling and and, and, and just like creeping over me, like, like some sort of Quentin Blake cartoon. And it was just awful. It was like me in the middle and everyone's surrounding me in a circle and they're all leaning over and laughing and spitting. And, 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 and it, it like that was the dream. And, and that's how my reality felt a lot of the time that everyone was looking at me. Everyone was judging me all the time. I couldn't take it. So I just literally just didn't go into school. I refused to go into school. I refused to come out of my room for months. I only went out of my room to go to the toilet and I'll go back into my room. And I think like when, when we're talking about friendships, you have to talk about bullying. Because I believe that most of our friendship experiences are are based on us thinking that we have friends and finding out that those friends are actually bullies. Where as we get older, we're, we're so mistrustful of people to even to the point where we're cold and emotionless because we're just like, well, I don't, I don't believe you. For all that I've been through, I've never ended up cold and emotionless with friendships. I have the opposite thing. I go full whack, over the top. That has also been a major problem. So when I went to the new school, you were talking about rugby. I literally, I was, I've, I was always into basketball and I faked being into football just so I could fit in. My brother <clears throat> passed away. So he was my older brother. Something switched in me. I became very, very violent. Like I didn't take anything. Like anything that came, I'd headbutt, punch. People got a shock. Because they were like, oh, now there's a consequence to us hurting him. And I was physically bullied, mentally bullied, and I just took it. Like I kept taking it. And then something just switched in me and I didn't take anything ever again. I, and I still don't. It's, I'm very defensive. If, if someone comes at me, I, I normally overreact rather than underreact now. It's, it's just it's PTSD. Like, like I get triggered so very easily. I'm definitely working on it. I've, I'm, I'm, I'm in therapy. I've got a good, good therapist and, and she helps me a lot. And it was weird, actually, because I, as easily as I snapped into that part of me, that I was, I was that reactive. People can like judge and say, oh, you know, that's no way of fixing a problem. Like, you're absolutely right. Like, I don't go around punching people now. I'm 42. I just go, whatever, mate. But I was a kid, bullied to the point of, of having to move schools, tra traumatized at, at home, brothers dead, older sisters, they've gone, they, they've moved out. And I'm taking all the brunt of, of my dad's anger, my birth mother's ma manipulation. I'm taking all of this and I'm just like, like, like a beaten dog, the nicest dog in the world. But then they're bred for like fighting. They're beaten, they're starved and they're treated and like put in bad conditions to the point where they're, they're, they're aggressive animals and they should never have been. There's not a bad dog. I, I had bad owners. And so I had turned into this rabid dog 
that was my reaction was just every time anyone said anything that I thought that would trigger me, I would bite. But my bite was a headbutt or a punch. And, and that's, that's where I'd got. And it wasn't me. That's not naturally me. But it became me because of what I went through. It's going to be a theme of this podcast, Jordan, making people reflect and realise how similar we all are. I went to three schools before I was 16. So I left primary school halfway through just because I was a disruption and a distraction to all the other children. And sorry, Mrs. Scott, we do not have time to educate your son individually because I have 40 other children to educate at exactly the same time. So my parents took me out of school and put me into a a fantastic private school. They had to pay for it and they had to work really, really hard to put me through that school. But it was a really big change in me because I got put into theatre because they were like, let's try him with this. And it was a great, great place to put me. And then 2008 happened, the financial crash happened. And my parents could no longer afford to take me to that school. So during the end of year eight, I got taken out and put into a school in my local town. It was still a private school, but obviously it was a lot cheaper than the other school that I went to. And it was full of entitled rich kids. I was put into a classroom with 30 kids and I was put at the back and they went, so what do you do? What's your thing? And I went, "Um, what do you like? I don't know. And instantly just became a chameleon, just went into survival mode. And I'll be honest, I've never really come out of it ever. I felt like I had to exaggerate stories, make myself more impressive to try and impress all of these kids. And I lost myself massively, developed narcissism based out of insecurity, made the one thing that I was good at, which was, you know, theater and acting my entire personality. So then obviously as you move into life, you think this is what I'm going to do for a career. This is what I'm going to be. This is what I'm going to be that. Uh, And life throws you curveballs. It doesn't always work out how you plan it. But when you've based your entire personality around your defense mechanism and you go into the real world and that defense mechanism no longer works, you just spiral and you feel completely lost. And I found friendships were almost like anchors in that moment. Like I'm very, very close to my parents. I'm very, very lucky that I have, I'm I'm blessed to have the relationship I've got with my parents. But, But here's the thing. If I didn't have my parents, I wouldn't be here. I just wouldn't, I wouldn't be because of the emotional support, the, the friendship, the camaraderie I have with my parents. If I didn't have that relationship in my life, I would really, really struggle simply because every person that I've kind of had a deep friendship with has become more than a friend. They've become a family member. I had a friend during university, went through the entire first year together, same course, same friends, never interacted with each other. Second year, something clicked and we became best friends. This guy lived on my sofa for like three months, rent free. I used to bail him out with money, all these sorts of things. And I realized he wasn't my brother. He was my bully. He just abused my nature. He abused who I was and he destroyed my self-esteem so that I wouldn't leave. I knew this guy for a while and then I started to hear what he was saying about other people. And at no point did I go, oh, he'd never say that about me. He'd never do that to me. Sylvia had a friend just like that. There was always, always bad mouthing other people. And I said to Sylvia, I was like, I know that she has loads of friends that she's bad mouthing. The people that she's bad mouthing are meant to be her friends. I'm like, I wonder what she says about you. Yeah. Like, I don't really think that she's a good person considering most of what she says is just nasty stuff about other people. 
that's not a good person. You don't, that's a toxic person. You don't need to be around that. Oh yeah. And, and, and it's, it's weird really, because talking to a therapist on and off for the past couple of years, I kind of like said something out loud where I was like, I'm attracted to what I know in the, the friends that I pick in the past before my diagnosis specifically were very similar to the friends that I had before. And we had superficial things. We had things in common, like me and this guy would talk about theater and the dynamics of it, the dynamics of storytelling. And we used to talk at a high intellectual level that used to feed me. Like the conversations that we used to have, I used to come away from it and be like, I feel full. Like my mind is working. My soul is fed. Everything's great. I love hanging out with this guy. And then just more and more weird stuff kept happening. Like I would come home and he'd just be there <laughs> and he'd have friends around with him. Oh no. He'd just be there. No, no. And no. there was one specific time. This is when our friendship really started to dissolve. We were both walking through London and I was like, I'm really hungry. Let's just go to a chicken shop, which is obviously in London. Uh, it's one in the morning where you're going to go and get food. And because we wanted to go get food, we went to a cash point, two lads run up to us, pull a handgun on us and go empty bank account. No. They didn't do it to me. They did it to him. And he had a lot less money than me because I used to work full time and paid rent and he used to sponge and live on my sofa. So he got his bank account emptied. They walk off. He turns around and puts his finger in my face and gone, that never would have happened if you didn't want to go and get food. That never would have happened to me if you had not wanted to do that. And that is, uh, that was our friendship. I can honestly say in my life, I've only ever thrown one punch and I missed because I slipped. And I genuinely do think if I'd connected with that person, I would have let the genie out of the bowl and I would have become a very violent person because it's the only time I ever went, nope, you're getting it. And it was one particular lad at school that just would not leave me alone. And now I look back on it in hindsight, we both played guitar. He had to practice 10 times a day to be as good as me. And I'd never practiced. I picked it up and just used to shred. And that's because I'm, you know, neurodivergent. And I used to just get under his skin. Everything about me used to get under his skin. And do you know what? In hindsight, I feel really sorry for him. But at the time I hated his guts. And there was one particular time I walked past him and I used to have long curly hair and he just grabbed it and just pulled me. And I turned and swung, but because I swung on the pivot, I slipped and missed. And if I'd connected with him, I would have gone, he would have gone down and I would have felt awful. But in the time I wouldn't have done, it would have felt almost like justification for all those times that I felt that way. But I, I will say when I think about some of the things that kids used to say to me at school about, you'll never get a girlfriend, you're fat, you're all of these sorts of things. When I'm having poor days, when I'm having meltdowns, I think everybody listening to this, whether you're neurodivergent or not, will agree. We all have a whisper in the back of our minds that will eventually scratch and will become a scream unless we confront it or talk about it or deal with it. When we bottle things up, you know, like you were saying to me last week, we become a Coke can that you shake. And once it opens, you, you're going to get sprayed. And we can all agree, we all have that whisper that becomes a scratch. And I look back at every friendship I've ever had, every friendship I go into now, that whisper scratches. And it's difficult to know whether it's a warning, whether you should go to trust that person. But I have found deeply, deeply within my core, and it's taken me a really, really long time to get to this. And it is the camaraderie of trauma. It is that we all have it in common. We've all experienced it. 
and we can all relate to it. And I really hope people that are listening to this, wherever you are, feel some camaraderie in the fact that we've all, we've all dealt with difficulties. Jordan has had a much more difficult experience in life than I have. He's had a lot more going against him, I would say. But from, from, but, but from perspective. We, we, we don't do that, dude. We don't, we don't compare. We, we never compare, man. But if people wanted to compare, you could go, well, Simon, what are you complaining about? You've got it easy. Mm-mm-mm. We all have our own perspectives. We all have our own experiences. And it's difficult. doesn't matter who you are. If you're having a hard time, it's a hard time. Don't say to yourself, like I've been doing for the past year, am I even autistic? Do I really have ADHD or do I just need to get a grip? The first thought is what you've been taught to think. The second thought is what you really think. Breathe. Allow yourself to hear that second thought because that has been where I've developed great friendships. I've stopped talking and I've started listening and I find people I love like Jordan. I love you to bits. You are my brother. I love you too. And we've developed that friendship because I can be myself with you. I'm getting a bit emotional, but it's true. It's true. That's how friendships for me. It's like, I can go, yeah, I twitch. I can't keep my face still. I sometimes go when I'm feeling a little bit anxious. (laughs) But I love that. (laughs) Anytime after my going to my bedroom at quarter past 10 and it's, it's, goblin mode like my partner will get in bed and I'll just be like like jumping all fours scratching like a dog jumping up and down (laughs) she doesn't touch me for five seconds and I go hell yeah the fact that I can do that with my partner feeds my soul it makes me feel alive and I and I didn't feel that for a very very long time and now I look at yeah I've always wanted 30 friends 40 friends it's my 30th birthday next year 10 years ago I want 100 people there now I'd be lucky if I get 10 and I'm more than happy with that. But we, we, we can blow this up. If you want a hundred oh, people, I can you like a no, please don't. hundred people. I'll, no, I'll put it no, on no. Facebook. I'll be like, we're having a party here. It'll be, we'll, we'll, we'll have headphones on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll great. have our own hall. We'll have um, like one of those silent discos. Do you know I, what I do I, love I, a silent I, disco. God, they're so good. But you know, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to like vent to make myself feel better. I'm trying to show that this is real. This is who we are. This is what we deal with. And there will be some people that will listen to this and be like, oh, but Jordan's had a much harder time. Yeah, maybe he has, but that doesn't disqualify what I feel or how I felt or how you feel or how you felt. It's all just part of growing and learning and, and developing. But why is it, Jordan, that neurodiverse people get so deeply hurt when friendships come to an end because the guy that lived on my sofa for months. And yet when I walked away from him, I ghosted him. I went, you ain't getting an explanation because I don't need to give you one. I'm done. Blocked him, walked away, but I couldn't let it go for a year. It was what I talked about with people, to people and about with people. I was like, oh yeah, I had this friend, blah, 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 blah. would be at work, start a new friendship. They'd be like, Oh, so what do you do? Yeah, it was it it was my headspace. That is part of the neurodivergent experience. I mean, that's what we're here to talk about. That's that that is literally that is part of our experience because we're so heightened emotionally. We have such heightened emotions, and and our you know we we are evolved to be different. You know, we are supposed to be like this. We're not evolved to be better. We're evolved to be different. We we evolved in this way because. The world needs diversity. To yeah, to develop, to grow, yeah, move on. Yeah, neurological yeah. 
diversity, you have to have people that have that mindset of changing things and seeing things differently in order to grow as a society. And that's what neurodivergence has done for the human race. We, we have change things sometimes for the better sometimes mm. for the worse i mean you look at the the oppenheimer whole thing i mean 100 percent that guy's neurodivergent probably most of the people that work with him were neurodivergent and that was not changing the world for the better and all the people that misunderstood him and yes. his goals and his needs and what he truly wanted and also let's 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 be real if we're going to talk about this also took uh, advantage of a vulnerable person who, who, who they lied and then manipulated him into thinking he was doing the right thing when mm. all along he didn't know how bad it was. And that's what traumatized him for the rest of his life when he had to live with what he had done, which other people had manipulated. And this is the thing about being neurodivergent is that uh, that need for friendships. We ended up trusting people so easily. And like you did with your friend, like I've done many times, I've been burnt many, many times where it, it's kind of that, oh, what? You, you want me? And mm. we, we undervalue ourselves to such a huge extent. We're just like, oh, I'll just put up with that because at least I have a friend. Can I ask you a question? Oh, yeah, go for it. When you and I were, were first interacting mm -hmm. and becoming friends, I ask you this because a lot of people trust me really, really quickly. It's amazing the messages I get with really personal details about themselves that I'm a little bit uncomfortable reading this stuff, but I know I'm, I'm incapable. It's not even that I'm not the person who I'm incapable of ever hurting someone like that. Like, like if someone told told me something private i would never divulge it how quickly did you trust me it's an interesting question because it's the answer is layered i met you in a professional setting so i came into that situation with a professional mindset so for me it was a i'm coming into this space to potentially get work you put your front on you put your face on after we did all the introductions and we were all talking about ourselves you are the first person I have ever seen see through my mask instantly. <laughs> instantly. Oh yeah. I sat in that space over Zoom talking to you and you asked me about me, not about my mask, not about what I'm good at. You asked me about me. You were like, how do you feel about that? And I went, oh, blah, blah, blah. and you went, that's a talk, an answer, Simon. What, how do you feel? <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. And I, I know neurotypical yeah. rubbish when I hear it. <laughs> exactly. You were the first person I'd ever met that made it being neurodivergent a positive thing for me. So my partner <laughs> is currently transitioning to become a makeup artist. So she's doing all the training, this sort of thing. And we watched Glow Up on Netflix. Great series, really enjoyed it. If that's your thing, you'll like it. There's a contestant on there who is autistic. She's 21. She is incredible. Mm. And it's because she can hyper-focus. Yeah, that's superpower, dude. The whole time she's talking on camera, her eyes are anywhere but in the lens. When someone gives her a compliment, she turns away, she hides her face. But in any point in the series, did she talk about her ability to hyper-focus as a positive thing? No. 
She talked about the anxiety of public speaking. She talked about the anxiety of her face scrunching up. The negatives, the negatives, the negatives. Because that's what she's been conditioned to think about. Because that's all that people have ever focused is autism is the negative. Autism is a negative. ADHD is a negative. The neurodivergent brain is a negative. This is why I first started changing things because I wanted to show people this isn't just a problem. There is so mm, much a disorder good. or something wrong with you. Or, yeah, I mean, this yeah. it's not a disorder. It, it's just we are disordered, but this yeah, you can't yeah, just label yeah. a person as you are a, a disorder. You know, you have a disorder. And, and I learned this very, very early on when I started advocating. I just wanted to go into schools because I wanted to do the thing that when I was a kid, if someone had come and talked to me, like I go and talk to kids, then I'm going to change my life. And I'm like, if yeah. I can just, if I could do that once, and I've done it so many times, all these kids, and it's mostly primary schools, because I think that that's the age where I really could have dealt with it. And the, the scary thing is, is that a lot of neurodivergent people actually have, have much better friendships when they're in primary school, because I think a lot of kids are more open-minded mm. and they, that, that sort of rebellious side of of thing and and i think they're they're more innocent at that time so the the sort of behaviors that we might present to the world they're not they're not judged do, do you know who the worst judges of a child's behavior in primary school are it's the parents of the other children they're the ones that are like oh that kid's a bit weird and they'll say that in front of their kid and their kid will be like oh that that that's a thing. I mean, we're talking about kids that believe in Father Christmas, and you're telling them, you're telling them things, and and they 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 and they're going to listen to the parent. And the parents like, oh, what's wrong? What's wrong with uh, what's wrong with David? Why is he doing that weird thing with his hands? And they're vocalizing it, and the kids like, oh, David just does that with his hands, and like, yeah, but it's really weird. Doesn't that distract you? Doesn't that get in your way? Doesn't that annoy you? And the kids like. Uh, it doesn't, but it does now because now I'm listening to mummy and daddy and I know exactly. But stimming is a big reason why we also struggle with friendships because it's the way we are presented to the world, we're presenting ourselves to the world, is very different from each other, but it is incredibly different from neurotypicals. So we do stand out. And that's why masking is, is, is just like the norm as, of the neurodivergent experience. Masking is just part of it. Because if we do stand out like that, it's not in a positive way. It doesn't end with everyone going, oh, that's the coolest guy in the room. They go, that is a freak. And we will absolutely attack that freak because that freak's different. And that's what happens. And that normally happens in middle school. In, in secondary school, that's when that happens. In primary school, it's, it, of course there's bullying in primary school. Of course there's kids picking on other kids in primary school, but it's far less likely to happen. And in my experience with my kids, you would never think anything was different about them, even though they didn't mask. My, my son did, um, absolutely. He, he kind of did. But with my daughter, she was just free and herself. And at how she was was so much accepted by the, the the other kids she had so many friends suddenly she's in secondary school let me tell you everything changed and suddenly she went from this bubbly fun vivacious gregorious young young girl to this 
anxious, sometimes aggressive, very, very heightened emotions, was crying a lot. And it, it, it was very fortunate. It, it was kind of that time where I was really picking up on, on me being neurodivergent. And then I, I was just supportive in the, in the best way. I have not always done a, a good job as, as a parent. I've always done my best, but I've got, I've got a lot wrong. I got it right then. I was so good as a dad in those moments with my daughter. Um, that's why we are so close. We talk about friendships. My best friends are my wife and my kids and my brothers, who I've made my brothers. These are the best friendships. Because when I'm in, I'm all in. And this is why it hurts so much. You're saying, why does it hurt? That's what hurts. It's so funny you say that, Jordan, where you're talking about the work that you've put in with your daughter and the relationship you've got out from it. My mum has taken the diagnosis that I got really, really hard simply because she's like, why did we not get help? Why did nobody help us? Why did nobody go, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. It was, you need to do this with your kid. You need to do that with your kid. And she feels, I would love to get her on here. Oh God, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely do that. Let's talk about it because the, the friendship, I've, I've got that friendship you've got with your daughter with both my parents on different things. But my mum instantly, I feel a bit upset almost saying this because she was like, if I go on your podcast side, and talk to Jordan and talk about how we struggled, how you struggled, how I as a neurodivergent mum struggled. Sorry, I'm getting a bit upset really, but it's it's true. Go for it, man. Your feelings are yours. What if all the other mums that are listening to that just go, get a grip, Jem? And that hurts my soul because she did her best. And without without the tools, with the left hand, like my mum's a beautiful beautifully kind woman mm. so so kind and a lot of the time she gets called a martyr it's because she she's willing to do what other people aren't she just does it she's a hero absolute hero and i think about the hard time i've given her in my 20s because she didn't know but it's been a big learning curve for me that to accept we don't know what we're doing none of us really know what we're doing we just we just make it up as we go along but for, for so many people out there, including me, that are going, why me? Why is this happening to me? Why are my friends leaving me? Why can't I trust people? And it's because it hurts so deep. You can hear it in my voice. And if you're watching, you can see it in my face. I've got tears in my eyes. And it's because I feel so angry and sad and guilty. And this is the spiral. This is the scratch that becomes a scream. And it's because you feel all of these things that go, why do people hurt other people so much? Yeah, this kid's dancing up and down. It's because he's happy. Who cares that he's making you feel slightly uncomfortable? The reason as to why you're feeling uncomfortable is because you've told you have to feel uncomfortable when people do these things. Uh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, you're so right. And the reason as to why my mum has always gone, oh, why didn't I do it like other mums? Why couldn't I deal with this? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Why don't you try this with him? And my mum's had to leave more birthday parties with me under her arm because I got too excited. And that one thought that was in my mum's head for 
30 years has basically been, what am I doing wrong rather than what am I getting right? I, I know you're, you're going to share this mm. with your parents. So right now I'm going to go off topic and I'm just going to speak to your mum. I'm going to speak to Jenny directly right now. Okay. You did not do a bad job at all. My mum did a bad job because my mum, no matter what she did wrong, she would never, ever admit or acknowledge that she was the problem. It was always my fault. It was always everyone else's fault. So, Jenny, you are not a perfect parent because that doesn't exist. I know I'm a good parent because I acknowledged the things that I did wrong and I corrected them as I went because nobody knows what they're doing because every kid is different. And when you don't know your kid is neurodivergent because the information is not there, the misinformation messes with your head, the stereotypes are horrifically biased. When you don't know, you don't know. And you're just doing your absolute best because you are learning on the go. And when you're neurodivergent yourself, there is so many difficulties in life. And then add a neurodivergent kid into that who doesn't understand the world and is just trying to find their way in the world. You cannot undervalue the fact that you now have an amazing son. And I will always say, people can criticize me this, this all they like. Kids are a representation of their parents. For me, my parent, weirdly, the person that, that brought me up was, was my brother who, who passed away. Um, Matt and Trey, the creators of South Park, I'm not even joking. Like I watched so much South Park as a kid. That is literally my ideology is everything that was in South Park. And my wife. I, I am shaped into the person I am because of, because of those three elements. Those four people shaped me into the person I am today. And your son is a representation of you and Tim. And all I can say is congratulations. Because I, I don't like people easily. I don't. I might be vulnerable. I might be trustworthy. I might be desperate for friendship. But that doesn't actually mean that I like the friends that I have. I just like the fact that I have friends. It doesn't mean I like the person. I love your son like a brother. He is kind. He is genuine. He is hardworking. He is talented. He is real. And that is because of you as parents and how much love you've given him and the, how good I am. For everyone that's like, oh, Jordan, you're so blah, blah, blah. That's because of the love that I have from my wife and the love that I, al that I will always hold in me from my, from my brother. 
I will, I will always have that love that he had for me. I hold on to that because that when I was a kid, that's the, that is the only love that I got. That is the only true love because I got fake love. People fake loved me all the time. But the real true love I got was from my brother and then from my wife. And that true love, that true love, that is what makes us who we are. And this is what I will say to every neurodivergent parent with a neurodivergent kid, whether you know they're neurodivergent or not, love is the most important thing for us, is to, for us to know that we are loved, to know that we are safe, to know that we are believed, and to know that we are accepted. Because outside the house, outside the family, those things are rare. They're rare. The world does not want to do those things for us. They don't want to make us happy. They don't want to love us. They don't want to accept us because we're different, because we're weird or we're odd. And in the house, in the family, that, that's where it really matters to us, to feel safe. And I didn't have that. I, I never felt safe. I would run away into the woods. The woods is where I felt safe. My friends were cuddly toys. My friends were He-Man action figures. That's why I have an entire shelf of He-Man action figures, because those friends were taken away from me. So I replaced them all as an adult. It's like getting my friends back. Because I didn't have friends, and I didn't feel safe anywhere. But your son. At least he was able to feel safe with you. Sod people who, who try and judge. Sod them. Like, what do, they, what do they know? They don't know anything. Because if they're judging you, that means that they're judging themselves. And that's what they need to work on. And it's not your problem. It's not your responsibility to work on their issues for them. All you've got to do is realize how great of a job you did because your son is Flipping awesome. And that's my message to, to your mum and all parents. This is why we're friends. This is why we have a companionship. This is why we have a camaraderie. Because we we don't look at the stereotypes. We don't look at what people have told us. We think what we think. We see what we see. And we see each other in our friendship. And that's what friends do. Just in the literal last four years of starting my page, being open about who I am, unmasking, being my true self. And it's the reason why it's really easy for me to make friendships now and with genuine friends, genuine people, is because I'm able to be my genuine self. But I'm also be able to, I'm, I'm at that stage in my life where I'm able to, to understand how my words and and my thoughts can sometimes impact other people and i would always say oh yeah you know no i am who i am and i i can be opinionated and if people don't like me well that's their problem and at the same time i'm like oh i really hope people like me and i don't understand why people don't like me and why don't they all like me when i go around telling them they're wrong about god and i shouldn't do that you know because it's not it's not my place to start preaching to people about my opinions and my thoughts and and facebook has enough and like social media enough has of, enough yeah, yeah. of yeah. people just, just blurting you know that whatever's in their head and there's just no filter 
when it comes to social media. So it's literally, it's like they'll see a picture of a bald person, they'll be like, oh, that baldy. And, and it's like bloody hell you know and no one has these filters but they all have these filters in life but they don't have these filters on social media so i'm i'm filtering myself in general of like how my my words even written or said can affect others like there's been a massive Mm -hmm. learning curve and seeing how my words affect others and you can't please everyone i mean i did a post um yesterday about how we were treated badly at the airport and someone literally um, called me entitled. I'm like, yeah, I, I am entitled. I'm entitled to special assistance because I have uh, invisible disability. So I am actually entitled to that. But they were saying, you're entitled to that. They were saying, I'm entitled. That I think that I'm entitled to things that I'm not entitled to. Uh, what? Very black and white thinking, you know? Yeah, that, that was. I'm autistic and my husband's autistic and my kids are autistic. And I'm like, well, I feel sorry for all of the aforementioned people, including you, that you will come on social media and make me feel bad. And she's like, I'm unfollowing you. And I'm like, well, you could have just unfollowed me. You didn't need to say nasty things. And you're autistic and your husband's autistic mm. and your kids are autistic. And you think it's okay to write down the... And, and and tell me how awful I am as a human. And I'm like, if you think that, that's fine. That's on you. You you need to work on that. Mm. I don't need to work on that. I don't know you. You you obviously have some internalized ableism going on that you don't think that you're entitled to special needs services in an airport. Like like literally, there's mm. this thing called special assistance that's for people like us. <laughs> like, that's fine. But why do you need to put it on me? Like you, they don't even know me. Mm. All they know is that I am a neurodivergent man and I'm putting my self out there and they're saying these things and they're just like, oh, it's fine. Well, actually that has taken up space in my head and I'm working on that to not. So I blocked, I deleted, I got rid of it. It doesn't exist now. And I'm only mentioning it because it's relevant to this conversation of how we and the thoughts and the feelings we have can affect others. And I don't want to be sitting around going, why doesn't anyone like me? But also going, oh, I don't care if people don't like me because I do. Mm. I don't care about whether people like me if I don't know them, but I do care that I'm a nice person to the people that I do love and I do like. And I've come a long way. And in the last four years, I have made the best friendships I've ever had. And the secret is they are all neurodivergent. And that right there is the key to my friendships. And everyone is different. And this is why we're here. This is why we're talking about this. And it hasn't always worked out, by the way. But all my friends are neurodivergent, and there's a reason we are so close, is because we accept each other and the way that we speak and 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 our actions. We don't judge, and I've never got that from anyone else. No, I totally agree. I totally agree. When I think about the friendships that I've developed, I look at the friendships that I've built, and it's when I've been authentic, when I'm with other neurodivergent people and 
and myself. And I think that's one of the things as well. I think it's a good point to end on. The reason as to why you and I are such good friends is because we're, we're real with each other. And I've always really admired that about you, how real you are, the fact that you're comfortable with the fact that you've understood your levels of friendship, you've reflected and had retrospect. And rather than being reactive, you're being responsive. It's something I highly, highly respect. And I think with friendships in general, whether you're neurotypical or neurodivergent listening to this, surround yourself with people you trust and surround yourself with people that make you feel good and you feel good being friends with them would be my best advice. If someone doesn't make you happy, you don't have to be their friend. It's not the end of the world. I was just going to say that like, I'm always in dad mode. I, I, I think a lot of the time it does come across as a bit condescending, but I can't help it because being a dad is like my favorite thing I've ever done in my life, other than being a devoted friend and husband to my literal world, Sylvia. The best thing I've ever done is be a dad. And when I'm, I want to give advice and, and I will go full dad mode. And this is to everyone, but especially young neurodivergent people, don't settle. Don't settle for relationships. Don't settle for friendships. Don't think that you don't deserve better when you feel like you aren't happy. If you're not happy, you deserve to be happy. So learn from my experience, learn from Simon's experience, because we've done that. And I'm never going to say learn from our mistakes. We didn't make mistakes. People made mistakes to us. We just tried to do what we would do because that's what we were conditioned to do. So my advice, and I'm sure Simon agrees, is be true to yourselves and Find the people around you that you deserve because there's been so many people that you will have in your life and you deserve better. It's damn good advice, Jordan. I, I don't think I could have, have said it better myself. And I think that's a great place to end this episode. So if you're listening, you've enjoyed this, please continue to join us. If you found inspiration, knowledge, reassurance, kinship in our conversation, please consider subscribing to this podcast so that you can continue to hear more. Please do rate this podcast. Please leave a review of this podcast. And if there's anything that you would like us to add or any questions that you have, please don't hesitate to ask us on any of our social media, which will be in the description of this episode below. So Jordan, say goodbye to everybody. Goodbye, Jordan. Yeah. All right. See you later, guys. Mm-hmm.